every two weeks we come we come a bit closer to the end of this series and I really hope it's a series that we have been enjoying so far mm. we're close to the end but as a reminder Hebrews 6 1 and 2 the Bible says therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ let us go unto perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment amen father we thank you for today we give you praise Father, i pray that every word that i speak would be right from your throne and i would not say what you don't want me to say but everything that you want your children to hear they will hear in jesus name amen, amen. so like we said as we've introduced this topic a lot of times what we've come to see is that the writer of hebrews essentially labeled these topics or these themes as foundational doctrines of the faith. We have looked at repentance from dead works, we've looked at faith toward God, we've looked at baptisms, we've looked at laying of hands, and today we're going to be looking at resurrection of the dead. I've said it before, in the previous teaching and it's also something that I've mentioned several times that there is nothing that you want to speak about as a principle of scripture that does not have elements contained both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament or as I'd like to call it the Old Covenant and the New Covenant that if you're going to speak about something that God is truly emphasizing or God truly put his stamp on, that you must be able to reflect on it, both under the old covenant and the new covenant, you would find often that you'll find shadows in the old covenant or promises or prophecies under the old covenant and under the new covenant, what you would see is the reality of that particular concept or theme or topic. And it's not any different when it comes to resurrection. But today I want us to spend some time in the Old Testament to see some things there. But I would need your help because I do not want to go around opening so many scriptures alone. So please, can somebody open to Genesis 17 verse 8 while somebody else opens to Job chapter 19 verse 25 to 27. I would open to Isaiah 26 verse 19. And somebody can open Daniel 12, 1, 2, 3. So Genesis, anyone? If you're there, please read. No, please pass the mic. Genesis 17, verse 8. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee 
the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Amen. Amen. So on that scripture alone, we see something interesting. And on the surface, you might say to yourself, what does this have to do with resurrection? Well, the key word there is everlasting. The key word there is everlasting. He said he will give unto Abraham's descendants, and he said he will give them an everlasting possession. Everlasting means that it does not end. Right? Which simply tells us that it will be impossible for this promise that God has made towards his people to be fulfilled if something is not done about the existence of death. Particularly death of the body. Because he's talking about the physical space. True or false? True. So even right from Genesis, you start to see glimpses of the mind of God or the idea that God had or has rather towards resurrection. That something must happen to this body. We'll get there in a bit. Can someone open the, to the book of Job chapter 19? Who is the, whoever is there from 25 to 27. Please use the mic. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Amen. This is Job speaking, yeah? And this is Job speaking about his death but also somehow speaking about how he yearns to see God even after what has happened to his flesh has happened. That's what we just read, right? Which simply means that Job, who is a man that we know existed before the nation of Israel was formed, was a man who, due to his relationship with God Almighty, already had a glimpse of a life beyond what happens to his flesh? That's fascinating, isn't it? It's quite fascinating. I read Isaiah, then someone else can read Daniel. But Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19 says, Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they rise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in dust. For thy dew is as of the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. This is Isaiah prophesying and speaking about the future of God's people. Key word there is the earth, or key phrase rather, the earth shall cast out what? The dead. Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. Can someone open to Daniel chapter 12, 1 to 3 if you're there? Please read. Uh, 
Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. The Bible says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was, since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that, that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Amen. 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 It's quite clear there, because Daniel... Unlike Isaiah, who you might say, it wasn't cryptic, you get, but you might look at what Isaiah said and you can call it a prophecy. Daniel was giving very precise and deep revelations, or precise might not be the best word to use, but Daniel was giving very distinct revelations and exact revelations about what was to happen towards the end. And the only person in scripture whose book compares to the later parts of Daniel is Revelation itself, written by Apostle John, which also shows us or proves to us that there's always something in the Old Testament that backs up anything that you claim to say exists in the New. If you cannot defend it throughout the entire Bible, it probably isn't true. And that's the reason why we've looked at all these scriptures today, to show you that resurrection has been on the heart and mind of God from the beginning it has been there for a while it wasn't something that God just you know, whipped up on a whim it wasn't an emergency it's something that has always been part of the plan and Daniel is saying here that the dead shall rise, some shall rise unto something, the others shall rise unto another, it says some shall rise unto everlasting life and some shall rise unto shame and everlasting contempt. But you see, before we get into the nitty-gritty of what the resurrection of the dead really is, we have to talk about some things. As at the time that we, I, I outlined this particular topic, and um, Pastor Femi can bear me witness, when I outlined this particular topic, resurrection of the dead was supposed to be for just one week. But as I started to prepare for it, I realized I couldn't teach it in one week because there's a lot to say. And if we were to truly understand it and have our foundations deeply rooted to know what these concepts mean, then we have to take our time to look at it. So as you see in the manual, the next thing we're going to talk about is expressing eternity. Expressing what? Eternity. Now, one of the biggest flaws of our description of eternity is the fact that a lot of times we tend to communicate eternity as simply something that is endless time, right? So if you want to communicate eternity, most times we'll say eternity is where time does not end. So it just keeps going. But there's a fatal flaw in that description. It doesn't totally and completely capture it. 
Because eternity can't be measured to begin with. Eternity is more of a realm than a state. Eternity is where God rules and resides. Eternity existed before time and space. And eternity exists outside of time and space. It's the domain of God. It is where he what? He rules. And it is beyond our limited comprehension. And we've already looked at it. We looked at glimpses of it today while we were reading these verses. But one expression that we use to attribute that realm to God is that word everlasting. Everlasting, just, it doesn't just communicate the fact that something doesn't end. Everlasting communicates the fact that the state of that thing doesn't change. God is just, just God just is. He's just constant. He's unaffected by time. He's unaffected by space. And that realm where he exists is something that our brains cannot fathom. But you see, he's not the only one that has an idea of this place. Or he's not the only one that abides in eternity. The angels he created also abide in eternity. They're in that realm with him. The 24 elders are in that realm with him. All the heavenly hosts that we don't know about, the seraphim, the cherubim, they are in that realm with him. But you see, they are not the only ones that have concept of this realm either. The devil was once in that realm with him. And the devil, although he operates here, because this is the domain he wants to conquer. This is the domain that has been given to him by man, because Adam handed over the keys to him. The devil is not bound by time and space either. Neither are the demons. That's the realm they came from. Amen. The reason why it's important for us to start with eternity is because resurrection makes no sense without eternity. Although resurrection and eternity do not mean the same thing, they are, you can't separate both of them. Because it's because of eternity that resurrection actually exists. It's because of eternity that resurrection exists. So we have to talk about eternity first. I remember there was a time when I was speaking to us once. And even when I explain it right now, it's not going to be an explanation that makes any sense. Because, again, limited comprehension. But it's something that I, I know in my spirit, but I can't really voice out in cogent words because when I try to, because I as a human being and you as a human being, we're all limited by time and space. We wake up and we sleep every day. We can count the years and we can count the times. It doesn't make sense for us to really explain it. And one of the things that I, I 
talk about or the thing that I've mentioned before, rather, is the fall of the devil. And we read in the Bible how the account of the war in heaven, since there was war in heaven, and, you know, Lucifer, and a third of the heavenly hosts, they rebelled against God, and they fell. And yet you see Jesus speaking to the Israelites and talking to them about how if they were children of Abraham, they would listen to him. And he told them, you have your father, the devil, because he was a liar from the beginning. And you now say, okay, was he though? Was he a liar from the beginning? From what we know about his history, you would say, no, he wasn't, because there was a time when he wasn't that. The problem with the statement I just made was, there was a time. And that is where our understanding of eternity now becomes limited. Because you see, what happened with Satan happened outside of where you can count that it happened yesterday or it happened today. So even if you want to call it history, is it really history? Not really, because history cannot be measured without time. So Jesus is not wrong to say he has been a liar from the beginning, because from the beginning he has been a liar, yet at some point he wasn't. <laughs> is your head scrambling? Exactly. But you see, in my heart I get it. I get it. I can't express it. So when Solomon said in Ecclesiastes that God has left a piece of eternity inside the heart of man, he knows what he's saying. He knows what he's saying. In my heart, I get it that whatever happens there is a constant. And whatever happens there affects what always was. Even if what always was was not what always was. <laughs> you have a headache yet? <laughs> We're laughing, but it's, it's interesting. But you see, the reason why all these beings we've talked about, the angels, Satan, 24 elders, the reason why they inhabit that realm is because there's one qualification for you to inhabit that realm, you have to be a spirit. You have to be a spirit what? Being. Because God is spirit. And Jesus, in his current form, is spirit. Jesus, when he was here, wasn't. But now, Jesus is also spirit. And the Holy Spirit is spirit. And Satan is spirit. They're all spirits. That is the reason why they exist in this what? In this realm. We don't, not completely, because we are only part spirit. Which brings us nicely to the next phase of this teaching, which is man's place in what? In eternity. Can we look on our Bibles to First Thessalonians 5, verse 23?
It's a prayer that Paul prayed. But that shows us all that you need to know about what man is. And says, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your whole what? Spirit, soul, and body. That is man. Soul and spirit, soul and body. That is man. So essentially, man is able to. Man has a piece of eternity inside him because he has God's spirit in him. Right? So what happened at the garden? We, we usually say there are three deaths that happened, right? We say there's spiritual death, there's physical death, and there's eternal death. What's the difference between those three, really? The difference is this. Spiritual death is separation from God or losing the spirit of God so that we can relate with him in this realm. Which now introduced the possibility for physical death, which is this body decomposing and decaying. Which now sets man up for eternal death, which is the inability to access God when we have full access to that realm where he is. I think about that garden a lot. And I think about the fact that although God came to visit man, man never went to visit God. It's not recorded. He came to fellowship with them. Man never went to fellowship with him. And I wonder why, sometimes. And my understanding of the topic is that it wasn't time. After all, paradise and heaven, man is supposed to have access to those places. Regenerated man. We see that in the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Right? Anyway. That's a segue. Then Christ came and restored man, right? So what did Christ do? Christ first gave us spiritual life, which is putting the spirit of God back into us so that we can relate with God in this what? Earth. And he also gave us access to eternal life, right? Which means that salvation, salvation gives us access to eternal life. And this is where the once saved, forever saved argument comes up. Once I have received salvation, can I ever lose it? I don't think you can. But I don't think that means that eternal life is a wash-off. Like it's a done deal. Because even John 3.16 says that the that God so loved the word that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him may not perish, but that they might have eternal life. So if you believe in him, you won't perish. 
and you might have eternal what? Life. Eternal life is the general or the automatic offshoot of somebody who has been able to live according to that spiritual life that is inside of him. Because eternal life is for eternity. And eternity is a realm that we simply do not exist in right now. But if we live according to the spiritual life that we have received from God, what will happen is when we finally have full access to eternity, when we are no more confined to the current state of this temporal realm, what will happen is that what? We will live, we'll be with God in eternity. True or false? True. True, right? Okay. So if you've noticed, I've talked about spiritual death, which was separation from God on earth. Man couldn't access God. God only related with man on God's own terms. Man could not relate with God on his own terms because man did not have God inside him. As far as his relationship with God on this earth was concerned, man also had physical death introduced to his body. The body started to decompose. He could now leave this world and die. But also, if man continued that way, man would be totally and completely separated from God. That even when he has access to the eternal realm, he will not have God with him anymore. And that is eternal death. Then Jesus came and gave us spiritual life back. So here, we can talk to God. He can talk to us. We cannot relate with God on equal terms because we have his spirit inside us. He doesn't need to relate with us the, the way he related with them in the days of old. But what we also have is that we have an assurance that when we live here, we will be with him forever. The question though is, what happens to the body? Because Contrary to popular belief of what we've learned all our lives or what the impression that we might have had as believers when we're younger, man has never existed without a body. And man will not exist without a body at the end. Man is incomplete without a body. If man was ever in a state where man did not have a body, man would not be man. Because God created man as body, soul, and spirit. So essentially, in the redemption plan of Jesus, there is no neglect for the body. Jesus did not come only to deal with eternal life and deal with spiritual life. Also, that life in this physical body, he came to deal with it as well. It's just that the way it was going to be dealt with was a bit different. And that is why we have resurrection of the dead. Which is why a lot of times resurrection of the dead is usually called the resurrection of the 
because the spirit does not need to resurrect. The spirit cannot die in that sense. The spirit can only be eternally separated from God, which is a death. But the spirit cannot be snuffed out of existence. But the body can. And that's what we're reading in Daniel. Daniel was saying that man will resurrect. And when we talk about the resurrection of the body, it is not just Christians. Every human being is going to have a form of resurrection. It is just that there is something that will happen to those who are for God. And there is something that will happen to those who are not. But man is not going to exist outside of a body. So I guess the question you ask is, okay, so this is just like right now, it doesn't make sense. Or how is that supposed to work? And I will have to return you back to the garden. I'm going to tell you something that you probably haven't thought about or heard before. Hmm? Or maybe you've thought about it, but maybe you've not had the mind to say it. (laughs) But it's true. When man fell, as we might have learned here a lot of times, it wasn't just man that fell, the whole of creation fell. Because man was king. Man was God of the world. And we say a lot, and we are right when we say that even the world fell into corruption, right? My question for you is this. During the time in the garden, right? Was there any concept of time? Even biblical history teaches us that we are not sure how many years passed in Genesis chapter 2. What we really start to know for sure starts from Genesis 4. And you would find that as man existed for longer periods, the lifespan of man started to reduce and reduce and reduce. If man is the pattern for the world, and if that's how the corruption affected man, what do you think affected the world? Why do you think that we are going to exist in a new earth and a new heaven? These are things you should think about, or maybe you've thought about, but you've not had the mind to say it. No matter the amount of environmental um, activists, no matter the amount of people who are concerned 
about the state of this current world slash planet. It has been doomed from the beginning. It's not sustainable. It's not going to last. It will be destroyed. It's going to go. Because it has to. Because it is corrupt. Because it is not in the state that it was supposed to be. Because man's eternity, as long as man has a body, is connected to the earth. Because man was formed from what? From the earth. Which is why the plan for the redemption of man's body is taking a little more time than the spiritual life that you received as soon as you gave your life to Jesus. And the eternal life that you have access to. Because the full manifestation of that eternal life cannot be done without the redemption of your body and the redemption of this earth. Which is why the entirety of creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Because this world also needs to change. And that is when you will truly be able to live forever. Because you see, God created the earth for you. He created the world for you and me. If he had in mind to create, we don't know the amount of beings that are in heaven. Do we? No. We know that the 24 elders are there. We don't know what they are. We just know they are kings. And the reason why we know they are kings is because the Bible says they drop their crowns. But they are not angels. Because if they were angels, they would be called angels. And they are not described with wings. So we don't know what they are. But what we can extract is that if it was God's intention to create humanity solely for heaven, he would have created us in heaven because he has the power to do so. But yet he created us somewhere else. Which means that resurrection of the dead actually is resurrection of the body. It's the body. It's this body. And I'll conclude today by saying this. Next week, or next two weeks rather, we're going to look at how Christ is the pattern for resurrection. Because he was the first to resurrect with a new body. He's our pattern in everything. He did it to let us know that we are going to do it too. Then we'll look at what the Bible has told us about those who resurrect that belong to God and the things that we can understand from the little clues that God that the Bible has given us as to what will happen to those who are without God. Because there's a resurrection for them too. Because man needs a body. If man is disembodied, the man is a spirit. 
fully. It's no longer man. And if unregenerate man also is disembodied, then unregenerate man becomes a demon. Because he's no longer a man. Amen. Amen. But I'll end today by speaking about the biblical exceptions to the resurrection of the dead. The truth is, even, if, even with all the information that we have, much of this topic is still a mystery. Right? Which is why I've attempted to scramble your brain a few times today. But it being a mystery does not mean that we don't have truths in Scripture. There's so much to extract. And when I say it's a mystery, what I'm saying essentially is we probably all, we have all that we need to know about it <laughs> in the Bible. The rest of it we'll figure it out as we, as we go. But the Bible talks to us about two sets of people that are not going to experience resurrection. The first are the raptured. And we find them in 1 Corinthians 15. From verse 51 specifically. It's not just here, but this is one of the places where we see them. First Corinthians 15 speaks majorly about the resurrection of the body and speaks about the defeat of death. And it says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must be must put on incorruptible, and this mortal must put on immortality. When I read this, I smile to myself because Paul says we, thinking to himself, that definitely he is going to be one of those. He didn't think that one day Billy will be in Lagos in 2022 speaking to people about the resurrection. He said we, because in his mind, he is going to be one of them. But you see, unfortunately, he is going to be part of those who rise up from the grave. Because he is going to rise up from the dead. Currently, where he is right now in paradise, he's not in his full form. No saint who is dead currently is in their full manifestation. Because currently, where they are, they are just waiting. They are in paradise, but they are not in heaven. And they are not in the new earth either. Because the new earth doesn't exist. They are waiting so that they can inhabit those bodies. The incorruptible bodies. So they are going to rise up. Every single one of them, from David to all of them. They will all rise up. And if Jesus dies and we end up dying, we'll be among them. But if he doesn't die, and he comes back while in our lifetime. What happens to the raptured is transformation, not resurrection. But it's for the same purpose. The two other categories of people that do not fall under this category are Enoch and Elijah. 
And we don't know what happened or how their own actually happened. We don't, but we have to mention them. Because the Bible said, Enoch walked with God until he was no more. He is also is a or he also speaks of a form of translation between this realm and another. And we cannot tell what state they are currently in. Neither can we, because a chariot of fire came took Elijah away. So we don't know. But what we can say for sure is that resurrection cannot take place if the body does not die. Resurrection of the dead is only for bodies that die. So that's what we can say for sure because the the pattern that we have, who is Jesus? He died. So on the subject of resurrection, it's for bodies that die. For those that will not experience death for one reason or the other, those in the past that we've talked about, and those who are going to be raptured, what will happen to them is not resurrection. It's going to be a translation or a transformation of some sort, all towards the same goal all towards so that we can leave this corrupt body for the incorruptible one. But you see, that incorruptible one is also for the incorruptible earth, the one that can also last forever, outside of time and space. So next time you decide to study Genesis, it'll probably blow your mind more because See that period when God will just come, worship with them, go back. I truly and strongly believe in my heart that at that point in time, heaven and earth were both in eternity. That's what I believe. Because again, to stop thinking of eternity as what? time. It just is. Adam and Eve weren't going old. They were created as adults. They were just essentially experiencing day by day by day. That's how I see it. And they had the sun to tell them when it was morning. And they had the moon to tell them when it was the greater and the lesser light. But do you think they were counting the hours, or the minutes, or the seconds? Who who started counting the life of man for him? It was God. It wasn't man. It was God. Because I use, I think about this a lot, and I think about, do you think that Adam knew his age when he died. I truly believe that Moses wrote all those things by the inspiration of the Almighty to be able to figure out, pinpoint 
This person died at 969. How did he know? It was God. Because the next time we, we clearly see age being mentioned, it was God himself that said, okay, you will not live past. Even, even right now as I'm going through, because... I have to reread these things sometimes because they are teaching. <laughs> and I was going well, I was going through for certificates class. The duration of the entire book of Genesis is longer than every other Bible every other book in the Bible. And the duration of the first third of Genesis is in Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter eleven. It's probably longer than almost the entire length of the Bible. That's the one that we know. Because we can't simply say just how long these events took. Because when did we start measuring it? So the question is why? Why? The only glimpse that we have is man. Because man was king. Man was God. And if man is to share the same faith with where he inhabits, then at the time when man was in complete sync with God, I believe that the place he inhabited was also in complete sync with God. And God exists in eternity. So when the new heaven and the new earth shall come, like we see in Revelation 21, there will be no barricade between man and God anymore. Do you think that new earth is going to die or suffer anything in the ozone layer or any of that? No. Then the original plan will come back. God and man just fellowshipping together. But it has to come when our bodies are redeemed. Let's rise up. Clearly, we've entered some people's favorite topics, which is eschatology. It's not my favorite. I can teach it, but it's not my favorite. Because I don't like dwelling on it too much. Simply because I'm very, not in the worldly sense, but I'm very kisera-sera about it. In that, you know, the spiritual life I have, that's the one that pertains to this world. As long as me and the Holy Spirit and Jesus are like this, all those ones will take care of themselves. But still, it's important to talk about it and teach about it, not because we are trying to predict the map and draw it, but because we should be filled with gratefulness and joy in our hearts that this God, he cares so much about every aspect of us. And even when we made that mistake, he had already set everything in order to bring everything. He didn't leave anything out. He didn't leave your body out of this redemption process. He didn't leave this earth out of this redemption process. Because what he created was perfect. And like we teach them in foundation school, if God does not restore everything back to perfection, including this world, it's unjust to him. It's an invalidation of his own person and his own character. Because that would mean that everything he created wasn't good. And yet he said he saw it and he saw that it was good. 
And because good equals God, everything has to become good again, including your body and including this world. And I just want you to thank him for his goodness.